It's amazing what we are doing. It's crazy. You know, I'm living my dream. But the normal day is dealing with lots of problems. So you don't have time to sit back, lean back and say, wow, look at what you have done. The world beyond. The emotioneers of tomorrow. Brought to you by Michael Mack. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to my podcast, The World Beyond the Emotioneers of Tomorrow. You are listening to the exciting second part of my talk with unique visionary Marte Riematz. Welcome again, Marte. Thank you, Michelle. In the second part of our talk, I would like to get more personal and allow the listeners to learn more about you. To start, I would like to ask you four quickfire questions. Are you ready? Okay. One. Which superpower would you most like to have? Living forever. Two. What is your favorite hobby currently? I don't have a hobby. I work all day and night. Three. Who or what is an inspiration to you? Nikola Tesla, Elon Musk, Christian von Koenigsegg and Horacio Pagani. Those four. Four. The favorite movie or TV series at the moment? Oh, Black Mirror is cool. Thank you so much. Martin, to really get the talk going, I would like, on top of that, um, to challenge you with a little bit of a provocative statement question. Will you allow me to challenge you? Yeah, just go ahead. Perfect. Here is my provocative question. Why are you so insistent to remain in Croatia with your company? Would you not be able to operate much more efficiently in Central Europe, America, or even Asia? <laughs> Masochistic. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You know, when I started a company... I really dreamed about doing this in Croatia. Like from the beginning, you know, when I started and I needed money and I talked to investors, they all told me, what, you know, first of all, what the hell are you doing? Like you're making an electric sports car. Like, is that crazy? And then second, like, where are you? And where is this Croatia? You know, we don't know about this country. You need to go somewhere else and so on. And I was like really insistent. No, I want to keep this in Croatia. And a few investors actually made it in condition. If you want the money and I really, really needed the money, you need to move out of Croatia. And I said, no, like even when I was with the back against the wall and like had no other option, I couldn't pay the salaries, I couldn't pay the rent and whatever. But the only option I had told me, if you want our investment, you have to move. I still told them no. You know, thinking back now, I mean, this was 15 years ago, thinking back now, if that enthusiasm and that, you know, patriotism was the right thing for me, absolutely not. My life would have been a lot easier if I have done this somewhere else. But I'm happy now that I did, that, you know, I created this company together with my whole team in Croatia, that there is now, you know, thousands of people who are living off of this and that we attracted so much talent and, and funding and knowledge and business into the country and really are changing the country. But it also made my life really difficult, I must say, to be honest. <laughs> When I look back and reading your success story, and correct me if I'm wrong, you've been like myself, or I would say a rather average student in school, to build a world-renewed innovative company that partners with leading companies such as Porsche, Bugatti, Kia, Hyundai, BMW, and yourself have been celebrated and labeled the new Tesla. What an incredible journey. Do you sometimes pinch yourself? And um, how did you achieve all of that? out of Croatia. Oh man, I have so many pincho moments. Uh, like today I had several walking around with you around this uh, roller coaster here that will bear the Nevera name. And you know, 
you are filming my story and you're going to tell it to many visitors here and to many kids. It's like, you know, many pinching moments. But, you know, the thing is, yes, if you look at it that way, it's like crazy, you know, where I was born, you know, in Bosnia in 1988, uh, where there were basically no roads, <laughs> you know, no cars almost. And uh, donkeys were still very common. Like my family had donkeys and horses and uh, cows, you know, at that time before the war started. And uh, then, you know, just within one generation, I am, you know, uh, often in skyscrapers in New York and Dubai, have meetings there. I drive 5 million euro cars, uh, uh, often, you know, have to fly with private jets because I have no time to, to fly with normal. So it's it's crazy what happened within one generation. And I often cannot believe it. But, you know, that that's like business, as you, Michelle, know very well, is like constant solving of problems. Like you have sometimes literally fires you have to put out, <laughs> both in your business and in my business, you know, uh, there were many situations where you had literal fires, but also many different kinds of fires, fires with, you know, customers, with finances, uh, you know, with partners, with employees, you know, there's many, many problems. And the only thing I think about is my list of things to do. It's like thousands of items. And the problem is, no matter how much you work, the day is just too short to even scratch the surface of problems you have to deal with. And there is never time to lean back and say, wow, look at what I've done. I don't look at it that way. I don't look at it, you, you said success story. I look at it more like the odds, like the chances of being here where we are today from where we have started were like zero, like 0. 0.000, you know, to come to this point. But I still don't consider it success because the company is still in the growth phase. We still raise money from investors. It's still not like, you know, if tomorrow I get run over by a truck, I'm not sure that the company would survive, which is not good. I don't want the company to depend on me. You know, the company is still fragile, you know. So I never say, okay, wow, I'm successful. We have reached success. And now, you know, let's let's praise ourselves with this great success. It's amazing that we are still around. It's amazing what we are doing. It's crazy. You know, I'm living my dream. But the normal day is dealing with lots of problems. So you don't have time to sit back, lean back and say, wow, look at what you have done. So you told us a little bit, you've been born in Bosnia, then I think you moved out to Germany, but maybe give us a little bit an idea of your life and uh, when did you go back to Croatia, what you had in your mind when you did your first car, actually? Yeah, I was born in 1988 in Bosnia, and uh, so Bosnia was at that time already the poorest part of Europe. So it was very natural that people from there go abroad in other countries to to live and at that time it was like the father would go the family would stay and in my case it was the same but then when the war started my mother and my grandmother and me we moved to germany as well so in 1991 we moved to germany in frankfurt and i had a really nice childhood i must say i remember germany very nicely i i loved it and it was very hard for me actually to move back uh, so in 2001 when i was 14 years old we moved back And actually, one thing I remember from Germany or what my parents are telling me constantly, for some reason, I was crazy about cars all my life. So before I could walk or talk, like I would pretend that my hand hurts so that my parents would put me in my grandfather's Volkswagen Beetle. And then I would forget about, you know, my hurting hand. And, you know, then I came to Frankfurt and there I was shocked by so many cars. 
and you know there were streets and cars everywhere and like wow i was absolutely fascinated and i think the, the time in germany shaped me also because in germany you had all the car tv shows you know like on dsf and uh, rtl and so on you had like lots of shows dedicated to cars which i was watching all of them i couldn't wait for them you know i knew exactly which one would happen at which time uh, all the car magazines i was reading all of them everything to do with cars and i always wanted to do something with cars be a formula one race driver an engineer at bmw a designer just something with cars you know and then we moved back to Croatia, which was at that time in 2001, quite different than it was today. It was still like, you know, just uh, less than a decade after the war has ended and uh, still quite backward. It wasn't the EU and all of that stuff. And school was very different. So I was also bullied in school quite a lot because I had a Bosnian accent and I couldn't speak the language well because I, I spoke German. I came from a German school and the school was completely different, completely different from Germany to Croatia. So I had a hard time adapting and I wasn't a great student, as you said, but I was always interested in cars and technology. So I was doing stuff in my own, you know, at my house and my professor, he said like, okay, you should go to a competition for electronics. And I was like, I don't want to go. I'm not a great student, but I had to go because of him. And, you know, I'm very thankful to him today because I believe in I wouldn't have done anything if it wasn't for him. So he sent me to the competition and that was a local one and I had zero hopes, but I won that competition and I was like then sent to go to the national competition where I had even less hopes that I would achieve anything, but I won the national level. So I became the national champion for electronics and uh, then they sent me all around the world to represent Croatia. And even there, you know, I was like, okay, what should I do against Japanese or Germans or Americans? Like I have zero chances, but I won a bunch of awards all around the world. And I saw the world through that. I was never in an airplane before. And I wrote two patents when I was 17 years old. And that gave me really the confidence. Like, first of all, I can do something. I'm not stupid. I learned a lot how to like build something and present and, you know, show to, to people with having limited uh, knowledge, time, money, whatever, you know, you're always limited by, you have so many limitations in life, but then, you know, on these competitions, you learn the competition is on that day and there is no excuse. You have to show there or you don't win anything. So that really showed me a lot when I was a kid and I'm really super thankful to my professor. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm grateful because who knows, I probably wouldn't have done anything if it wasn't for that professor who pushed me. So when I was 18, I bought a 1984 BMW 3 Series, so four years older than me, because it was the easiest way to start racing. Before, my parents never, you know, allowed me or didn't want to, to give me the money to do some racing. So 18, and I bought a 1984 BMW, raced it on a drift race, because that was the easiest way to race. So you basically weld the differential, have some old tires and burn the tires. And of course, actually, the funny story is the guy who was driving you in the Nevera, Michel, the guy named Goran, I know him for 20 years, and we were driving on this race together, and he was more experienced than me. We were two stupid kids. He was 16, I was 18, but he was racing already as a kid. And he was driving that BMW, and he's a maniac, as you could feel. And he was a maniac back then. And of course, he drove my car to the limit. And like the engine was in the red line, like, you know, on the end. And the engine blew up. So he blew up the engine. And I was like, oh, man, what do I do now? I need a new engine. But I was doing electronics. 
in these competitions before. And I read a lot about Nikola Tesla because he was born in Croatia and he invented the electric motor. And then I decided to combine my two passions, cars and electronics. And instead of replacing the combustion engine of the BMW, to build an electric race car. And at that time, you know, all my car guys were telling me I was insane. Like, are you crazy? Like, what, what are you talking about? They never saw an electric car. So this was back in 2008, 2009. There was zero electric cars on the road in Croatia, you know. There was not a single one. So I built that car into an electric car with like forklift motor, old batteries, and went racing. And everybody was like, what the hell is this? What are you doing with the washing machine on the racetrack? And I had lots of problems at the beginning. The car wasn't working well. The car would have lots of issues. But after every race, I kept coming back. I replaced parts. I made it better, made it faster and started winning. It was the first time in history the electric car started winning against combustion engine cars. And then I started a company and yeah, still a long story to go from there. <laughs> But let me touch on, 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 on just for my understanding. How old have you been when you won the first prize actually? I was 16. 16. Crazy. Amazing. And I'm fascinating of what you're just uh, telling uh, me. Um, most of the people actually, when they talk about Tesla, and that's what we also want to do here at Europa Park, is educate people who Nikola Tesla actually was. Because... I know that it's a, a big discussion going on in the former Yugoslavia, who he belongs to, and <laughs> sometimes the Serbs claim him as being uh, her Tesla, because they named the airport after him. And uh, I've been visiting his birth house, which is truly in Croatia, and did a lot of filming there to educate the people who he really was and what he invented before he left to the United States. He actually was in Strasbourg, uh, close to Molsheim and close to... Uh, where the park lies to electrify the train station oh, in Strasbourg before he left. So uh, he was very close to our park actually as well. Can you still remember that moment when Elon Musk published his first Tesla car? And uh, do you remember where you have been and what you thought that oh, moment? Michel, I remember very much so uh, because I followed Tesla, the car company, way before Elon Musk because uh, Martin Eberhardt which was actually the founder. So this is not a hate about Elon. I, I really respect Elon. He's a, one of my four heroes. And, you know, I was lucky to meet Elon. I met three of my four heroes. The only one I didn't meet is uh, Nikola Tesla, unfortunately. Um, so I have huge respect for Elon, but he's not the founder of Tesla. Martin Eberhardt founded Tesla. And I followed it very closely at that time when nobody was following it. Unfortunately, I didn't put any money in the stock. <laughs> so I missed that train. But, you know, my, my company also did pretty well. Um, but then I remember very well when this Elon guy came along and there was this community, you know, of Tesla followers. And I was one of them online. Very small, very early community where nobody knew about them. And then comes this Elon guy who throws out Martin, who was the founder and CEO at that time. And he was seen as the devil himself by the community. And I was like, what is this guy doing? Like, is he crazy? Today, of course, I must say, you know, the only reason why Tesla is, is what it is, is Elon. He is the only difference between so many other companies. It's, it's his drive and everything. But at that time, we were all like everybody who was following Tesla. We saw him as like this investor who came, you know, into the company and then throws out the guy who started it, like, is he insane? So uh, when the first Tesla Roadster was announced, I mean, I knew about it way before I ever heard about Elon. And then when the first car came to Europe, 
actually Pro7, the German television, in the show Galileo was following that car. And that car came to Croatia in 2010, I think, or 2011. And they wanted to show like how fast the fastest electric car in the world is, the Tesla Roadster. And I knew that they were coming to open up the first charging station in Croatia. And there was this media and all of that. And police and actually the Croatian uh, minister of police was there. And I came with my BMW waiting for them behind the corner. And I was asking them if they would allow me to race that car. Because I knew the media was there and the ministers and everything. And the police was great. And they closed the road. They closed the road. And there you have the video on YouTube. They closed the road and we were racing on a public street in Croatia. I mean, 10 years ago or 15, that was still possible today. I don't think that it will be possible. So they closed the road and we were racing there. And I proved that my BMW was faster than a Tesla. And it was like, I think it was the first time I was in the newspaper with that car. And uh, yeah, that's the kind of guerrilla marketing I was doing as well. <laughs> Amazing. And uh, when when actually your first Nivera was seen the the daylight was it in like 2 years, 3 years? No, we we showed the Nivera. So my first car that we built, so I started with a BMW, but my goal was to develop my own car. And the first car that I built was the uh, Concept 1. Uh so at that time when we showed the car at the Frankfurt Auto Show in 2011, we were a company of 8 people. And most of the guys I just convinced to give up their job to join me like a 20-year-old guy who wants to make a car, who has some Arab investors and stuff like that. But the investors never really paid the money that they promised me to. And we, like, I, I didn't pay the guys the salary. I didn't pay my suppliers. That was a really, really tough time. So anyways, this was the first time in 2011 that I showed the first car, the Concept 1. But that wasn't really a proper car. We didn't know really what we were doing. We didn't have the money to do it. So it wasn't a proper car. And then in 2018, we showed the C2 which was like a code name uh, until we showed the proper Nevera. So th that was, let's say, the first prototype of, of the Nevera in Geneva 2018. And then in 2021, we showed the Nevera and we started to deliver it in 22. So uh, now we know literally everything about how everything happened and what actually uh, that you built a faster car, the better car, and um, that you started your passion already way before. Elon Musk actually put in his money into the Tesla car factory. When we go back in what you have achieved, I know that you are thinking already five steps ahead. But before we talk about the world beyond and the things of tomorrow, are there any things when you look back in, in your career and history, were you the most proud of? I mean, I was reading a little bit the internet and uh, most likely I pronounced that very wrong, but there was a huge bridge built surrounding Bosnia, the Pelješac Bridge, uh, where, I, the Pelješac, where the first <laughs> uh, car ever drove over that bridge was a uh, Rimac Nevera. Is that one of the moments where you said like, oh my God, uh, that was a special moment in my life? Or so like if you right now, I know there are more to come. What were the most special moments you're proud of? Oh man, so much stuff to, <laughs> to remember. Like, and you know, I... I never really think about that i always as i told you i think about the next problem to solve and the next thing to do so i have to think now how i rank this um, one very proud moment was for me when we announced the bugatti deal that was that was like a big one and my whole family was there my mother was super proud like that was a big deal that was one uh one very big thing for me today is that i don't have to think about paying the next salary 
<laughs> however crazy that sounds but that is the hardest part when you work really really hard and you do the right things but you still have to tell your people i might not be able to pay you in the next salary and that was the most of our history so being in that position where i don't have to worry i mean it's still not easy but i know that whatever happens i can pay the salary in six months or or in one year i i know whatever happens i have the money to pay the salary that's that's like the biggest thing for me actually and the most proud i am is actually walking through the company tell you the truth like going around seeing all of these amazing people who came from around the world because they believe in what i want to do they came from all kinds of backgrounds and companies and and countries from brazil from japan from korea whatever come to live in croatia and follow this crazy dream together with me and with all the rest of the people and like do these amazing things that's actually what makes me most proud That's beautiful. And I think you can feel it by listening to you. I mean, I did have Richard Taylor here in the podcast the other day, and he was saying that it's the center of love, that whatever you do, you should love doing. And I can feel that passion in your eyes talking about your um, your history. And I do feel, even though I'm the age generation, the same than you do, seeing everybody, these uh, not only happy guests, but also the people who support our visions and idea. Also with the new coaster, uh, Vulture Nevera, to make the joy and give the people the work that's still out. And I'm looking out the windows and seeing Patrick Mike sitting out there, the engineer of our coaster, still listening to us because he's also fascinated by you. And I know that you were touring the construction site with him, talking techniques when I'm out of talking techniques. But I think that's what motivates us the most. Now, I think we can go on forever and ever and ever. And it's been a very charging uh, media day today. We did photos at the new coaster. We've been strolling around the park on a hot day. But I'd like to um, ask a couple of questions into the future. Um, I hope you can tell us a little bit um, about where you see the future. But to sum up what we've been speaking right now about is like, You have three, um, so to say, columns of what are you doing. First of all would be the hypercars with Bugatti Rimac. The second one would be Rimac uh, Technologies. And the third one is, I believe, like self-driving cars. Correct me if I'm wrong. And maybe you can tell us a little bit about those three columns. Uh, what are your future plans and uh And where do you see uh, your company within the next years? Yeah, you're right. Exactly. There is three different companies that do different things. So Bugatti Rimac, we want to make the best hypercar company in the world and the most exciting cars in the world. And the beauty of that is that you are not limited with cost. Everything is in the end limited with cost. Yes, even those crazy hypercars, you have to be reasonable in terms of development cost and, and materials. But you can really do amazing things. And... You know, that's what I said about putting things on the wall. And I really, truly care about that. Like, that's really my biggest passion. And I just came today here from Molsheim, from Bugatti, where dreams are made, you know, uh, where in this beautiful atelier, the cars are being assembled. What you will see next, the cars that come, like every car guy in the world, will, the heart will skip a beat when they see the new car. I hope, I believe, and, you know, I, I'm sure that many kids will have that car on the wall. So that company has to be, you know, profitable, of course, and grow and all of that. Um, but it will always be a, a niche in terms of low volumes, you know, a hundred, maybe a few hundred cars. Per, I mean, this year it will be a hundred cars, a hundred Bugattis and Rimac, which is not changing the world in terms of volumes, but it shows very exciting stuff. 
Then we have Rimas technology, where we take the technology that we develop for hypercars and basically scale it with other car companies in a much broader range. So with partners like Porsche, Hyundai, BMW, and so on, you will be able to experience those technologies and those products that we develop in a much bigger scale in tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of cars that don't cost as much. Still, they're not the cheapest cars, but at least it's possible to, to achieve it in a broader range. Plus, we also use this technology then to do other things, for example, stationary storage. As the world is transitioning to more and more renewables, and as it's transitioning to more and more electric, so if you think about it, your life today has three elements in terms of energy consumption. You have your energy consumption for transport, for the car, which is gas and oil, and this is shifting to electric. You have your house, which is already electric, your light, your fridge, and so on. And then you have heating of the house, which is most of the time today fossil fuel. So as this is transitioning to more electric, so basically each of these elements is one third of your, or let's say 33% of your energy consumption of a modern, let's say, developed country citizen. And all of these three elements will be electricity in the future. So your car will be electric, your house will be electric, and you will heat your house with a heat pump. And you will need double or triple the electricity than what you use today. Plus, the grid is going renewable. So you need a lot of storage. So we are also doing innovative battery storage systems to store the energy uh, to stabilize the grid because sometimes the sun is shining and you don't need the energy. So what do you do with it? You can store it in a battery and sometimes the sun is not shining and you need the energy so you can use the energy from the battery to, to deploy it. So that's what we are doing with Rima's technology and we are going really big there. So scaling up because you can use that for cars, for boats, for tractors, for stationary storage, for planes, whatever. So you have a much bigger scale. So the, the prices per product are much lower than in a hypercar. And the margins are much lower, so more difficult to make it work from a financial perspective than a hypercar business, but scale is a lot bigger. And then we have the robotaxi business, which we call P3. It's a placeholder name. It means Project 3. It's, let's say, the third big adventure of me and two co-founders of P3 who have been with me for the last seven, eight years, Marco Pekovic and Adriano Mudri. Adriano, actually, the designer, he has been with me from the beginning. So the three of us have decided to go on a third journey and we have kept it secret so far. We haven't shown really what we are doing, but what we are saying we are doing without showing pictures of it yet is a new ecosystem for mobility in cities. So we think the way people will move in the future will be with autonomous vehicles that they don't own. And we think that people who have tried to do it so far have been quite wrong. Just like with phones, you know, there have been many people who have tried to do smartphones before the iPhone, but nobody did it right until the iPhone. We kind of think the same way, you know, the, the robotaxis that have been shown so far, we call them to a large degree toasters. You know, they are these boxes, like basically little buses or little trains with rubber wheels. We think that's not what people want. And we are trying to change the way people move around cities um, with that company. So as you can see, you know, it's not, let's say, in inverted commas, only, you know, expensive cars for rich guys in the hypercar business, but also taking the technology and then spreading it broader. And then even with the robotaxi business, doing stuff for the normal citizen uh, of large cities. Allow me one more question by listening to you. I mean, you've been 
driven by race cars. You've been driven by electricity. And I was reading your story. I was visiting your factory in Zagreb. When I came out of the factory, I asked myself the question, you've been always driven by records, by fast drifting cars, by racing around. And now you're talking to me about a P3 project. How does that fit in in Marta Rimat's world of faster, quicker, more electric? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, I was always saying like, you know, if I tomorrow decide to sell my company, which I won't, but if I get fed up with cars, I would do something with food, you know, with uh, the way we produce food. You're just passionate about something and about, let's say, this thing of robot taxis and moving in cities. It's a really good question because... I got asked a lot in conferences and in interviews, like what I think about electrification, the future of the industry and so on. And I tell them electrification is nothing. It's like Schnee von gestern. It's like the snow from, from yesterday. It's like done. And I was saying that like five, six years ago, it's just, you know, it's decided, it's happening. It's just the inertia of the industry that will take some time, but there is no question about it. You know, for me, it's boring. I mean, to discuss about that, like it's it's just about getting the cost down and so on. I was always showing on, on these big conferences, like presentation about how I think that the industry will really change when people don't own cars anymore and they don't drive them anymore. Then, then you are completely, everything is messed up. Everything is different because what is changing when the car is electric for the car companies? Nothing. They... Uh, buy components for their own car. So they buy the gearbox, for example, for the combustion car from a company like ZF or Getrag or whatever. And now instead of buying the gearbox for the combustion car, they buy an electric motor from the same company or, the, or a different one. They buy a battery from another company. It, nothing changes. They, they build the car together from parts from their suppliers. They sell the car to the end customer through the dealership. The end customer buys the car. Doesn't matter if it's electric or combustion. The car company gets the money for the car and they forget about the car. That's it. The owner owns the car. They then bring it back for service if needed. Okay, the electric car goes a little bit less to service. And the only thing that changes in the end is for the customer. They don't go to the gas station, but they charge the car at home. Nothing else changes. And we are talking so much about this huge shift of the industry. You know, everybody's talking about electrification, big transformations, you know, blah, 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 blah. But in reality, very few things change. But what really changes the game is when you don't buy the car anymore and you don't drive it. That's a big change. And the players are completely different. The, now the power is with the car companies. But when you don't buy the car and you don't drive it, the power is with different companies. It's the power with people, with the companies who have your data, who have access to you through apps like Google, Apple, Facebook, you know, these big companies, they own the relationship. That's much more important in the future. Who owns the relationship with the customer? So that's the story that I was telling to the auto industry on many conferences. And I was telling that over and over and all the implications it has, how it will change their business, who will be the players. And they were busy with other stuff. And then, you know, I had investors coming to me and say, you're making these nice little sports cars. Why don't I give you a lot of money and let's compete against Tesla? And then I was telling them, but guys, but this doesn't make sense. Like it's, it's like taking a, you know, starting in 2005 to make a CD player business when, you know, MP3s were coming. I was telling them it, to make a car with a steering wheel in 2000, whatever it was, 17, 18, when I had these discussions, 
It's like starting a CD player business in 2004, 2005, when it seemed like it makes sense, but five years later, you are dead and you are doing something completely obsolete. So I was telling this story all the time, telling this story all the time. And then Marco, my right hand, he was like, why don't we just do this? Like the story that you are telling, why don't we actually do this? And I was like, do we really want to do this and start another company from ground up? And I talked to my wife. And she loved it, Derek. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can imagine. <laughs> you know, she knows me for 20 years and uh, she, she knew what I had to go through, you know, like through all the hard times to, to build a company. And I asked her, like, should we really do this? Start again. And she was looking at me and Marco and she was like, I see that you guys want to do it. So just go ahead and do it, you know. So, so we did. Uh, start a new company to do what I was telling everybody else that they should do. <laughs> That's how it started. Amazing. I, I, I don't know how you do all of that. I mean, it must be the beautiful weather in Croatia or the <laughs> seaside, which keeps you recharged um, to have three companies up running. But I think we talk about that when we have dinner in a minute and uh, maybe give me some hints for my life, how <laughs> I can get everything under one head. To finish this beautiful podcast, and I'm really, really thrilled that you are with us today and I'm quite sure that we have to do a third episode talking just about platforms, future, the world of beyond and the emotioneers of tomorrow, what you truly are. Um, so I'm looking forward that we have another podcast, whether it's going to be at the opening of the Voltron Nevera or even before that, when you're hopefully going to join the park once with your wife who has never been uh, at Europa Park. So um, I'm looking forward for that third podcast together with you. Um, but let me ask you for to finish of this one, two more questions. The one is like, you are completely self-made and fought your way to where you are today. What do you think, what are the qualities and mindset are necessary to achieve that? And what would you recommend that young investors, founders and children want to be entrepreneur? Well, I have to say, you know, I was helped, of course, I told you by my professor, he helped me. And then also my family did support me. Of course, I need a lot of more. I attracted in the meantime a billion euros of investment. You need to get a lot of money to do what I'm doing. Uh, in the beginning, it was super hard to get investors. And uh, in the very beginning, you know, when I was playing around with my BMW, my family, of course, supported me. Um, but uh, to get real investors, that was difficult. To young people who want to go ahead, do something in their life, you know, my advice would be two things. First, it's worthwhile to try to be the best at everything you do. It's not only important to be an amazing, I don't know, actor or or big entrepreneur or whatever. It's worthwhile, you know, to be the best baker in your street, to, to be the best construction worker, to be the best father to be the best you know whatever you do in your life to try to to be great at it you don't have to you know I, I'm, I'm very impressed by people who take their work seriously and whatever they do they do it great whether they have a little restaurant or or a souvenir shop or just somebody who is a great taxi driver i respect that when they when they you know take care that their car is clean and they drive nicely and they behave nicely to you. I have great respect for that because I think we live in a society today where it's not acceptable anymore to do what people consider lesser jobs. People only like kind of everybody wants to be these big shots, whatever that is, be it in sports or, or in, in uh, business or whatever. But I think 
whatever you do, you can do great things, you know, be a great teacher, whatever. So that's one. You don't have to make it big to do a good job, you know. Second is, if you really want to do something like I'm doing or what you and your family are doing, Michelle, I think you have to be ready to, you know, for hard times. You have to be ready to give up a lot in life. You know, I feel like, I mean, I'm super blessed to do what I'm doing and I'm happy because I have a wife, she supports me, but also, you know, I'm 35 and don't have children. And I just spoke the other day with my wife about it and, you know, she wanted children before, I, I didn't. I want children really now and now it's more difficult to get children at this age. And why I don't have children? Because I couldn't imagine in the chaos I was living and like on the brink of bankruptcy, being responsible for hundreds of people, I couldn't imagine having a little kid in my life. I couldn't imagine it, you know. And often, you know, when the friends are going somewhere and having a day off, going to see, you don't, you can't, you know, whether it's Christmas or, or, or Easter or whatever it is, you can't go because there's people depending on you. And if you go, you, your company will maybe die. You know, so you have to be ready to give up a lot in your life to do it. And maybe it's not a life worth living for you. So, you know, when people see me in a beautiful car, you know, testing whatever or at a car show, it's nice, but that's 1%. The 99% is super hard work, super stress. The fates of hundreds or thousands of people on the back, on your back. And it's not easy. And it's not something I would recommend to everybody. And I think when most people would see the way my last 15 years looked like, very few people would change for that. And the outcome could have been whatever, you know, still, you know, still today, the outcome could be that in two years, the company goes bankrupt. Still very possible. And the last thing that I would say is nothing happens quickly. Forget Bitcoin and all of that bullshit. You will not get rich quickly. There is a few people who did, but you don't see the 99.999% who lost money, who uh, lost their house, who lost their savings, their parents' savings, whatever. Uh, I actually had to help a lot of friends who lost everything because they bet on stupid things like that. So under 10 years, nothing happens. You cannot do anything great in under 10 years. Nothing if you really want to do this, be ready for putting in the hard work and putting everything else second in your life for a long time, at least 10 years. Well, I had a similar discussion with my dad going on uh, leading this company. And um, surely a lot of people ask me why this podcast, just run a theme park and be happy. But I think that reunites us and that reunites our great cooperation and partnership to grow both together, I think, in the future to um, spin around ideas. And uh, if I can help you whenever help is needed, uh, I'm surely there for you to support you in whatever you do. Seven years from now. My last question, though, because it's always on my podcast. Um, what do you think the world of cars or more particular transportation will look like in seven years? Seven years, okay. It's actually not such a big time frame for, for car companies because the development cycles are very long. So let's say we just signed a contract with a big German car company. We are working on the project for the last two years and it will start production in 26 and the contract goes until 2045. Uh, so that's how long contracts are in the auto industry. It's, it's a very long time. So it's quite predictable what will happen in 2030, let's say today. So I would say that by that time, the majority of new sold cars 
in uh, the developed world will be electric, the majority. So today it's like, depending on the country, between 5 and 15, 20% in some more developed countries, or let's say Norway, it's already above 50%. So the rest of the world will follow there and the majority of new sold cars will be electric. But I think the bigger change, what I was talking about, about not having ownership of cars and cars driving you around, you will have already in the most major cities of this world, you will have robo-taxi services where it becomes quite unnecessary to own your own car. So you will get into a car that has no driver and the car will drive you where you need to go within the city. It will not probably still drive you from Berlin to Munich, but within Berlin, it will drive you around. And I think that many young people will make the choice to not have a driver's license, to never have a driver's license, and to not have the second biggest investment in their life, which is a car. To not do that, to not have that as, as an asset and as a burden to them financially and everything else. So I think that's when the revolution will really start, like electric cars will become a you know, normality and like majority of new cars will be electric. But don't forget there is over a billion cars on the road today in the world and there is 100 million new cars being made. So even if tomorrow all cars will be electric, the new ones, it will still take at least 10 years to replace the whole fleet. So I think by 2030 we'll be at maybe 50% new cars being electric. So you still produce a lot of combustion engine cars, so it will take some time to reach. And maybe a big change, I think also the Chinese will be very strong. So the European car industry, in my opinion, will struggle a lot, will struggle a lot. The Americans and Chinese will take over. So I hope that the Europeans will still have an edge, but I must say it's going to be quite difficult for Europe, especially for the brands who are not that strong. So the premium brands maybe have it a bit easier. Porsche is very strong and some of the other German brands are very strong. The rest of European brands, I must say, I'm more scared about. Well, let's see what the future brings. I am again very uh, thrilled that you were here at Europa Park today with me, Marta, um, having had a um, wonderful talk. And I'm quite sure that you will hear still a lot of uh, Marta Riemats, Riemats, or Bugatti Riemats, Riemats technology, or the new project you are working on. And I'm sure you will listen to some news, certainly, via my podcast or with our new corporation of the Voltron Nevera coaster powered by Riemats. So thank you very much. And um, I hope to see you very soon again here at Europa Park. And to all of you listening, thank you for tuning in. Be sure to join me again next time for more exciting insights into the world of the future. Michael Mack presents The World Beyond. The Emotion News of Tomorrow. A Mac One Production.